I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. You love Lucy, we love Lucy, and I love Lucy. But it's unlikely that anyone loves Lucy more than author Michael Carroll. His books on the subject include Lucy A to Z, The Lucy Book of Lists, The Lucy of All Quiz Book, Lucy in Print, and The Comic DNA of Lucy of All. Any way you slice it, that's a whole lot of Lucy. But the thing about Lucy Ball is that for most people, her career starts and stops with I Love Lucy, the classic 50s sitcom. What few realize is that prior to that show, she appeared in over 70 films and her own radio series. In this installment of the podcast, Michael provides some background on Lucy, explaining how she began her journey as an actress and revealing the road she took to I Love Lucy. In talking to you about Lucy, I'd love to get a sense of, you know, sort of what her early life was like. Uh, before, you know, she decided, oh, hey, I'm going to be an actress or, you know, that sort of thing. What I mean, what can you tell me about the early Lucy? Lucy's early life was very tragic, which was, um, I guess, was a lot of many people who became very well-known comedians. Yeah. Um, she, her father was a telephone lineman, her father, Henry. And he dragged the family out to all these weird places like Montana uh, to go with his job. And then he died uh, when she was three years old. And it was uh, an event that really scarred and colored most of her life. Because after that, she, the, her mother, Didi, had to uh, take care of the family. And it was, it was you know, her and her brother. And they, she had a tough time of it in Jamestown, you know, a little backwater Jamestown, which is Western New York, kind of near Lake Erie, but a little bit above New York state. And right. uh, I mean about Pennsylvania in New York state. Um, so it was kind of a hard scrabble existence, but by all accounts, she was like very, a joyous child as, as much as she could be. And her grandfather took her to see the vaudeville shows in uh, nearby Celeron, which uh, she ended up loving, especially this one monologue. I can't remember his name right now, but um, he was famous in vaudeville. Okay. And uh, a, a very, apparently very funny. And uh, for the time, I guess. <laughs> and uh, she, she, got a love for being on stage. She wanted to be on stage. She loved to do plays. She would perform in her house. They had a curtain set up that separated the living room from the hallway where you walked in and she would put on shows and, uh, everything was okay for a while until her brother, Fred got a, not a real gun, but some kind of a BB gun type pistol. Right from the, their grandfather, their beloved grandfather. And uh, it was at a birthday party, I think. Uh, he accidentally shot it at one of the other kids they were playing with. And the kid ended up injured and very seriously injured. In fact, I can't remember if he might have died. If you, if you Google it, you right. know, you'll be able to find out exactly what happened or get a copy of my book. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, get the uh, Kindle version. Yeah. Um, so, and I will, but that's right. besides the point. But go ahead. <laughs> As a salesman, ever, ever through and through. As well, you should. Um, be, sir. So, she 
coped with, I guess, that kind of existence as best she could. After the shooting, they were kind of like, well, the grandfather was sort of run out of Jamestown. So that's where they moved to Celeron, I think. And um, they, she came back and went to Jamestown High School. Uh, but she hung around with kind of a rough crowd. Uh, one of the guys that she dated was like a, an older guy who sort of a, had a reputation as a gangster. And uh, she performed in shows all throughout her her kid her youth, you know. Now you're saying shows, and you mean live shows, live shows. You mean? She, yeah, on the uh, I think the uh, the Reg Lena Center in Jamestown. I think it's R E G L E N N A. Okay. Um, which I've been in, and actually I've been on the stage there because that's where they had so many author presentations during the festival. Oh, cool! But um, she was there in high school or, you know, thereabouts performing and catching people's eye uh, as a very lively kid, I guess. And eventually she begged her mother to go to New York to try and make it there, you know, as a performer. Um, Well, she didn't. And there's a very famous story. Her mother somehow managed to send her to this, uh, famed drama school where Betty Davis was another student. And uh, after Lucy was there for a while, <laughs> the guy who ran the school sent her mother and a letter that said, uh, you know, dear Miss Ball, you really should uh, take Lucy out of school. She has no future in the entertainment business. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that. She left. I went home. There was a period somewhere around in there from like her mid to late teens where she was felled by some mysterious illness, which we don't really even know what it was. It might have been rheumatoid arthritis, but that's what Lucy calls it, I think. And in some of her interviews, um, she was confined to a wheelchair and had to learn to walk all over again, supposedly. And when she did, she went back to New York. This time, she tried to make it as a model and showgirl. And uh, well, what happened was she um, she decided nothing was going to get in her way. Her her personal qualities, her best personal qualities, were what enabled her to become a show business and ultimately world-renowned legend. That was perseverance, plus this never-say-die attitude, the desire to make something better of herself for her family so she could keep her family together. And that was her major, I don't want to use the word takeaway because that that sort of makes it seem like it's it's just a little thing that she took away. But from her father dying, she always wanted to have, she needed to have a family near her. And not just her mother and brother, but her cousins and her grandparents and whoever could be there. She wanted them with her. Right. So that was like a major, a major impetus in her having a career, making money and, uh, keeping the family together. She, um, like I said, she returned to New York after that quote unquote illness, whatever it was. And she lived on practically nothing. She made a career for herself as a model after trying to be a chorus girl, I don't think she did too well as the chorus girl, kind of like 
you saw later on I Love Lucy. <laughs> well, one would um, imagine she was a little be- better than Lucy was, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, she was the Chesterfield girl, as in Chesterfield cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And as a result, her face or body was plastered all over billboards in the New York area and, and advertising. And she modeled for uh, Hattie Carnegie, who was a pretty big Manhattan uh, fashionista back then doing hats and dresses. And just when Lucy was down to almost nothing, and she was living on, literally, this is what she says, living on leftover New York diner coffee and, and donuts, she would wait for someone to leave. And if they hadn't finished their donuts, she would run over and grab it and pretend that she had left the tip. Wow. Or take the tip, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> leave the donut, take the tip, right? Yeah, right. Um she ran into an agent on the street who spotted her and recognized her from the billboards and uh, asked Paul Lucy if she wanted to go to Hollywood and become a golden girl. Apparently the mother of one of the girls who was going to go decided that uh, she didn't want to let her go. And there was an opening. So Lucy took her place and that's how her career began on the train to Hollywood. She uh, started out as an extra, literally bit player, in dozens of movies and starting in 19 usually it's it's credited as 1933 with roman scandals and eddie Cantor movie right but uh in the past couple of decades they've maybe discovered more movies that she did little bits in in maybe 31 32 but i'm not really too positive about that i would stick with the 33 right um she was a golden girl she had no speaking part and in most of them and others, she had only a couple of lines, but she was always watching. She was always learning. And from her fellow actors, from the crew, from the director, the lighting people, the props uh, early on, this is the legend in Roman scandals, um, which was, if not her first, one of her first films. Um, one of the golden girls refused to take a pie, a mud pie in the face. Um, and fearing it would uh, hide her beauty on screen. Well, Lucy stepped up and took her place. And the, the, the director was Busby Berkeley. You know him, right? Yeah, of course. And so Busby is is said to have told Eddie Cantor, the star of the movie, to get that girl's name. She's the one who's going to make it. Wow. And in fact, it was true because there's... Uh, well, you can't deny that Lucy's natural beauty at that time was her ace in the hole. The Hollywood was, is, and always has been filled with beauties, you know, ready for their close-up. Right. But never before Lucy had a comedian combine beauty and slapstick comedy as effectively as her. So her bit parts in movies turned into smaller roles then supporting parts and then starring roles in the late 30s in B pictures. She became known as Queen of the Bees. Um... Along the way, she began showing some real talent and eventually was signed by, she was with RKO after Goldwyn. And uh, she had her own series called Annabelle. Uh, she played a Annabelle somebody, I can't remember the last character, name of the character, but a, a, a kind of a dizzy actress whose uh, press agent was always getting her into trouble. And uh, the press agent was played by Jack Oakey, who was... A friend of hers lived near uh, lived near Lucy at, at one point when she and Desi bought their ranch later in the 40s. Right. Uh, but um, after the second movie, which was a success in the late 30s, 
he apparently asked for a salary that was commensurate with the budget of the picture because he was a better known star. And so they couldn't make any more, which was okay because by then Lucy was getting small, uh, like not small, but uh, important parts in uh, movies like Stage Door with Katharine Hepburn and Ginger Rogers and Eve Arden. Um, that was probably Lucy's best early movie. And from there, in a couple of years, she was uh, making Dance Girl Dance with Maureen O'Hara in 1940, I think, uh, where she played Bubbles Stripper. Um, it was about two women, and it was directed by Dorothy Arzner, the one of the first female directors in Hollywood. Right. And also a lesbian, um, which is neither here nor there, but I think it's fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Especially at that time, yeah. Yeah, Dorothy directed her and Marina Harrett in a story about uh, these two girls, let's say, or women. They used to call them girls, so all of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mean to be offensive to anyone. These two young women who wanted to be dancers, but Lucy, Lucy's character, Bubbles, basically just wanted money. Whereas Marino Harris' character wanted to be a ballet dancer. And uh, Bubbles ended up being more famous as a stripper after she left the group that they were part of. And, she, and Maureen O'Hara ended up being her stooge on stage in vaudeville. It's like she would come out and try and do ballet and the audience would laugh at her. And then Lucy would come out and do her strip and they would like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a very interesting uh, script for 1940 and directed, but directed by a woman and starring these two strong women. It was really, it was uh, put in the National Registry of Films, uh, I think in 2007. Wow. It is considered an important movie. So that was 1940. By 1942, she had starred in maybe her medius dramatic role with Henry Fonda. The Big Street is what it was called. It was a, a hokey Damon Runyon tale of Broadway and kind of the lowlifes there. And Lucy played a kind of a nasty stripper, uh, not stripper, singer. Okay. Uh, and she was, she went with a gangster. Henry Fonda was a, a busboy at her club who was in love with her. Lucy ended up getting shot by her gangster lover oh, and paralyzed. And so Henry ends up taking care of her. And at the very end, because she always wanted to go to Florida, God knows why, but... <laughs> Um, the sun, I guess, you know, sand, whatever. He takes her in a wheelchair, okay, all the way from New York to Florida. I mean, it's a really sentimental, hokey kind of film. And then they have one last dance in one of the clubs. He sets her up on the beach, and she pretends to be beautiful and whatever, a star, and she is, but she's dying, whatever. Right. So She ends up gasping her last breath in, in his arms when they're dancing. Um, but it got her a lot of notice and good reviews. And to the extent that uh, MGM noticed, and uh, they signed her in 1942. And for her first or second movie there, they changed her color, her hair color. Um, the guy who was the hairstylist at uh, MGM and again, the name is escaping. So Sidney Gwilaroff, that's G-U-I-L-A-R-O-F-F, -F, I think. He was pretty famous 
all through the 30s and 40s. And he, he was the first hairdresser, so to speak, to get screen credit. He is responsible for a lot of the famous women whose hair you may know from the 40s, um, including Lucy. And he said uh, something like, uh, her hair may be brown, but her spirit's on fire. So let's make her a redhead. And he came up with some crazy combination, uh, blazing red. And the first couple of movies she was in were uh, both musicals. Uh, Best Foot Forward in 1943, I think. She replaced uh, a pregnant Lana Turner. And uh, that was a a college movie with uh, lots of music. And Lucy plays this uh, actress who comes to be the date of one of the boys at this military academy. And it's a really cute little movie, but she looked beautiful in, in, in color. In fact, she was voted by the Hollywood crews um, that year. They nicknamed her Technicolor Tessie because she <laughs> photographed so well. What a name, Technicolor Tessie. Oh, my God. Right? Um, but she, MGM didn't know what to do with her either, you know? Uh, a beautiful woman who was very funny. And so she ended up sitting around a lot, uh, waiting for the next picture. The only good thing that came out of that was people like Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd were also sitting around there doing nothing. And Buster Keaton, for example, uh, schooled her on how to use props. And Harold Lloyd is one of the greatest comedy directors in the world. So I'm sure she got a ton of tips from him. Right about being in front of the camera. Um, and like I said, no matter how bad the film was, Lucy always rose above the script. Uh, she was in one of the movies at MGM, one of her later movies uh, was with, uh, called Without Love. And the ostensible stars were uh, Tracy and Hepburn. Um, and it was about this couple who decided to just get married because they like each other, but not they didn't love each other, you know? that they, they could make it work. Right. They both had things the other wanted, et cetera, et cetera. And Lucy and her co-star, uh, Keenan Wynn, like stole the movie from Hepburn and Tracy. But it wasn't, it wasn't as well known as some of the other Hepburn Tracy movies. You know what I mean? It did okay, but it wasn't a hit like some of their other films. Um, and uh, after... I guess 46, 47, she just left MGM. She was tired of, of being underused and spending most of her time, you know, not making movies. And, uh, she did a tour of a a national tour of a play called dream girl. This was like 1947 or so. Okay. Um, it was about a woman was kind of made for Lucy. It was about a woman who fantasizes about, her life and what it could be. And so a lot of the vignettes and, and scenes in the show are this character fantasizing these wacky situations. And it was a big hit. And more importantly, it made Lucy realize that she responded best in front of an audience, a live audience. And when she was done, the feedback that she got, the laughter, the applause, whatever, that's what she like the most, much better than making movies. Right. So when she came back from the tour, she, uh, she was popular enough. CBS wanted her to do a radio show. 
which she did. It was called My Favorite Husband. And that's where uh, Jess Oppenheimer, the writer, producer, ended up at I Love Lucy and Bob Carroll and Madeline Pugh, the writers. That's where they all came together. They were in charge of that show, which used to be before Lucy was a vehicle for uh, Fanny Bryce, I think. (laughs) Oh, wow. Which is, or or no, maybe it was um, Oppenheimer had written for Fanny Bryce's Baby Snooks. So it kind of makes sense when you realize that the character of Lucy was so childlike in her, you know, reactions and, and the situations that she would get into, you know? So maybe some of that was taken from Baby Snooks. I don't know, because I've never seen or watched <laughs> anything of Baby Snooks. Right. You got the same guy doing it, so there had to be some connection, I think. Yeah. Um, think so. Anyway, My Favorite Husband became a success on radio, ran for three years. And then, of course, they wanted to take it to that newfangled medium, television. And Lucy was okay with that. She had appeared a few times in the late 40s, early 50s on TV, um, just as a guest star. Uh, but she insisted that Desi play her husband and he didn't on the radio show. Uh, and because what was happening was she was in Hollywood. He's touring with his band all over the place. He had a reputation as you may know for catting around. Yeah. And uh, it was true. And Lucy wanted him home with her in Hollywood. And as she Put it to, I think, Hedda Hopper, one of her, one of her close friends. Uh, you can't have a baby over the phone. You know, you can't make a family over the phone. So that's why she really wanted Desi in Hollywood with her, tied down to this project. And CBS wasn't sure that the public would accept Lucy, uh, this all-American girl, redhead, as the wife of a Cuban guy. And uh, Lucy's response, then Desi's response was, well, we're married, you know, in real life. Yeah, right. So it does work. (laughs) Yeah, right. They didn't care. And so Lucy and Desi took it upon themselves to tour the country in a vaudeville type of show that went on before movies and stuff on the stage. Right. And just to prove how popular they were as a duo. And that's where they worked out a lot of the routines that came out ended up being used on the first couple of seasons of I Love Lucy. Um, but to, yes, they were a success. And uh, CBS said, okay, Desi can do the part. And then there was a little bit of a thing over filming versus kinescopes. Right. You know, kinescopes, they used, you know what they are, right? They used yeah, to film the, the, but the quality was horrific. Yeah. And Lucy and Desi wanted to film it. And, CBS said, no, we're not paying for that. And Lucy and Daisy said, okay, we'll pay for it. Which ended up being one of the smartest things they ever did because eventually they sold them the reruns back to CBS in the late mid to late 50s, like 55, 56 for like 5 million or so. Which was a tremendous amount of money uh, back then. Yeah, yeah. And they invented the reruns, basically. Yeah. And Desi, who was, turned out to be a programming genius, um, Developed with the help of Carl Freund, the Oscar-winning uh, director and photographer who had uh, worked with Lucy in the movies a few times. She asked him to come, or they asked him to come, and between them all, uh, they developed that three-camera system, right. which uh, 
the film editor, Dan Kahn, used to refer to as the three-headed monster. <laughs> so it was three different cameras all uh, trigger rigged to work together, one catching a close-up, one catching a medium shot, one catching a long shot as they were filming so that they could just cut the, all the best shots together whenever they needed, you know? Right. That also was a, a, a total innovation for a sitcom at that point in time. So I Love Lucy went on the air and became a huge hit almost from the get-go. It was number three its first year, and then it was number one for four out of five of the uh, other years that it was on. The only time it wasn't was when the 64 thousand dollar question took the number one spot for one year like right. in 55 or so and uh the rest is history i was just thinking that phrase now i do have a couple of questions on the on the areas that you've talked about already uh sure. one of them now if i can only read my okay you point out the thing about her like r- taking donuts or leftover donuts or chips or whatever it may be and yet at the same time, she had all these billboards up and all that. So why was she so destitute when she had like billboards with her picture up there and everything and she was doing all this modeling? Um, that's a good question. Probably part of it was that she sent everything home to her mother, you know, so that they could live. Okay. Um, but honestly, I've never really been asked that question before. Well, look at that. <laughs> and, uh, seriously, if, you're, and if your face is all say, over the place, what the hell are you begging for? So that's what I'm Right, getting. right. Um, well, you see, here's the thing. I don't really know what that means to have been a Chesterfield girl right. back in the 19, late 1920s. Oh, sure. And and just how And it was the Depression, right? Say again? It was the Depression in there somewhere, right? So. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, right before she got to Hollywood. So, yeah. so that right. was part of it, obviously, too. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, they, it seemed like Hollywood is, was intent on selling her as this serious and sultry actress. And now I have to tell you, and, and I haven't seen a lot of her pre-Lucy work, but in any photos I've seen, I, I can't look at her and think of her as sultry and, uh, <laughs> and serious. I just can't. I think of I Love Lucy. Uh, it's kind of like well, Leslie Nielsen it, after Airplane came out, right? You could no longer look at him as anything but a goofball. Uh, right, right, right. So, um, well, was, it's it's interesting. And I totally understand that. I can do it because I'm so immersed in her life yeah. that I know what she was doing. Like if you were to watch The Big Street, one with Henry Fonda, right. you'd probably sit there laughing through it. Oh, you okay. know, like oh my god, this is like it's it's what the term melodrama was invented for. You know what I mean? Like so like dramatic, real, it's over the top, and it becomes funny. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. And if you go, if you go to it from that perspective, you might actually enjoy it. But you're right; she was, um, she could be a good, she was a good actress, mm-hmm. but she didn't really get the chance to show it. The Big Street was one of the few times, and Dance Girl Dance also. You know, that wasn't really a comedy. Right. She played a stripper, a girl who you know, figured out what she needed from life. And that was to make money so that she would always, and, and that and, and really was interesting because it was kind of like what Lucy was herself, you know, yeah, make money, be a success so I can bring my family out to Hollywood with me. And that's what she did. The minute she landed there, she right. sent them all stuff to get out there and live with her. But, um, right. yeah, so it's, uh, it might be tough to envision her in dramatic roles, right? But in a bunch of her B movies, some were some were definitely comedies, 
And those were mostly better than the ones that weren't. But some of them were dramas and they were, you know, I guess the best way to describe them were tidy little films, you know, that kind of an expression. They were they were nice enough. They were they fit the bill, the the bottom half of of, of a double bill. Right. But they fit it. You know, she did well enough. She just was never an A star. She was a good supporting player in A pictures. Yeah. But she was a B movie star. I just wonder if you go back to the dramatic stuff, if now it's funnier because of I Love Lucy, it's kind of I'm going back to Leslie Nielsen again. I remember that after Airplane came out and suddenly you go back to the Poseidon adventure, for instance, where he's the captain of the ship, right? And his line is, there's a 90-foot wall of water heading this way. Well, oh, it's a really funny line now. Because <laughs> put it that way. I, I honestly, I haven't seen the Poseidon adventure in years, so, yeah. but anyway. Trust yes, me. You're right. <laughs> he was the captain of the <laughs> ship, and it's hysterical now because of, uh, because of the baggage of Airplane and the Naked Gun, so... Um, you know, you also well, talked about my favorite husband, huh? What are you saying? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, if I interrupt you, and you have something to say, please say it because you have a lot more interesting things to say than I do. So, no, I was just going to say, I think you're right in the sense that many people who grew up on, with Lucy and for generations of people did, you know, I love Lucy, um, having a difficult time reconciling her as in, as a dramatic, in a dramatic performance. But if, my my feeling is if you give her the chance, if you, if you like her enough and you give her the chance, you'll see that she could indeed do pretty much anything. Right. But again, she was never given the chance to do anything meaty. And her career Even, certainly changed, right? So why would they let her <laughs> at that point? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, yeah. yeah. You, know. you, you talked about My Favorite Husband. What Was that a good show? I mean, I have not listened to any of it, but is it? Was it a good show? Was it a showcase for her or no? Or was it a good stepping stone towards oh, I Love Lucy? It totally was. Yeah. It was It was a showcase for her slapstick talent. And you'll see if you ever, I, I went to the Museum of Television Broadcasting uh, years ago mm-hmm. when I was doing the book, like late 90s, early 2000s, okay. to listen to a few of them just to, you know, find that out for myself. And uh, she and Richard Denning, were the young couple and Gail Gordon, who ended up being her co-star in the sixties and beyond and B. Benaderet, who was on uh, the Burns and Allen show and then Petticoat Junction were their older neighbors. So it was right from the get go. The concept was pretty much, I love Lucy, the younger couple, best friends with the older couple, the women against the men, always scheming and getting into trouble. And even though, uh, B. Benaderet's character. Now, again, I haven't watched an, enough of these to really be an expert on it. Right. But I'm thinking that she was the she was wife to a bank president. You would think that she would have had all everything that she ever wanted. Although I don't know what that was like back in the late '40s. But right. you know, whereas Lucy's husband, I think, was just an employee of the bank. I don't know exactly what he did, but they were always still scheming. And in fact, a lot of those plots were taken straight from my favorite husband and moved over to I Love Lucy, you know, wow. rewritten to accommodate the different characters. So, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a showcase for her. Again, it was before a live audience, so she was performing visually and uh, audially. Yeah, or something <laughs> like that, yeah. So if not, we'll invent that word, we'll copyright it, and we'll oh, make a fortune. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm an editor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so she she loved that. Uh, B. Benadaret was taken up with the Burns and Allen show when I Love Lucy came up, and Gail Gordon was busy with Armist Brooks, which is why neither of them got cast. Right. And then uh, Vivian Vance and William Frawley ended up replacing it. Right. But the other the other real gap in what we were talking about, I think that needs to be addressed is. You know, in the middle of the conversation, was someone saying, so anyway, she and she wanted Desi to be on the show. And that's great and wonderful. Who the hell is Desi Arnaz in the sense of where does he enter the story? I mean, what is their story leading up to I Love Lucy? Their story, uh, briefly, they met in 1940 on the set at RKO or, or in the commissary. I think Maureen O'Hara told the story in her biography, her autobiography. Um, she was having lunch with Lucy. They had just fought, they just filmed this uh, big fight scene between the two girls. And like Lucy was made up with a black eye and all kinds of stuff. And Desi Arnaz walked by and saw her and didn't think much of her. But then when he saw her all made up for her next picture, which he co-starred with her in called Too Many Girls, um, he was like, wow, what a hunk of woman. (laughs) Basically, the quote is always attributed to him. Um, So Too Many Girls. He originated that role on Broadway. He was a band leader whose family was very um, well-known in Cuba, but driven out by the 1933 revolution, which wasn't the Castro one. It was the one before that. I think it was Batista. And uh, the father was mayor of a big city, but he was exiled, forced to exile to Florida. And the mother and Desi and everyone, the rest of the family came with him. He ended up cleaning bird cages for a living, but going to school, a private school, I think, or a school anyway, that uh, Al Capone's son went to as well. So it must have been fairly well to do. Right. Um, but he always had the musical talent and wanted to play. And eventually he put a band together and Xavier Cougat, who was a top band leader of the day, uh, saw him and asked him to uh, play with him or, or lead one of his one of Kugat's bands, you know, the big band leaders had bands that were under their names or Aegis that went all over the country. You know, this is the uh, Benny Miller band or whatever. Um, and uh, Desi ended up in New York in the late thirties playing. Uh, I want to say the Convo club, but it was something like that on Broadway and like in the forties, upper forties. Okay. And uh, Richard Rogers, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Lorenz Hart. I'm not positive. The two that were writing this musical. It was a college musical called Too Many Girls about football and college and romance. And they saw Desi's act and they thought he would be perfect for the role of Manuelito, a uh, Cuban ball player who went to this college. He was one of the guys. Right. Um, and uh, so he was a big hit in that on Broadway. And he was one of the few people they took to do the movie at RKO when they brought the film rights. And guess who was starring in the movie as the lead co-ed? Wait, let me think. Lucille Ball. Other than Lucille Ball, (laughs) yeah. So that's where they met. In fact, it's very interesting. The first scene in the movie, she's uh, lounging out, out the front door of her father's house in New Mexico, I think. And... The boys, uh, four of the boys are there, including Desi, to try and had something to do with football. I don't know. 
you don't really need to know. I don't really need to know that, right. But this first time he sees Lucy and he, I think he he gawks, his eyes bulge out and he might faint, I'm not sure. Something to that effect, which is pretty much what happened when he actually saw her made up in real life. So I think that's kind of funny. Yeah. Anyway, they got married not soon after, soon after that, sorry. Soon after that, not not <laughs> right. Shortly November, after the meeting, yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, nineteen forty, November, December, something like that. It was when they got married, and uh, you know they had problems from the beginning. Like I said, Desi was apart from Lucy a lot of the time because of his band that traveled all the time, and uh, that plus the the drinking and the women and the jealousy and the arguments, they would argue and then make up and argue and then make up. And, and it was a, an endless cycle. And they, yeah. in fact, they had filed for divorce in 1944. Um, but they vacated the divorce decree by sleeping together. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so they really were heavily, totally attracted to each other. Yeah. They really were. It was a real thing, you know. So um, she made him get married as Catholic, thinking that might do it. And that didn't do it. She tried to get them to work together. Um, now, I don't believe she tried that with the, my favorite husband. But when the opportunity came to uh, move it over to TV, uh, Richard Denning was a minor movie star you know, supporting play or whatever, maybe a lead man in beating in beat movies. But, um, you know, personal enough, he, he had like, uh, he ended up uh, 11 years on the original Hawaii five Oh, as the governor of Hawaii. Um, but Lucy wanted to work with Desi, like I said, in order to have them be together and hopefully she could have a baby. She'd had several miscarriages before that. And it was really what she wanted more than anything Man. to have a family with Desi. And they did for a while. They were happy for a while. Yeah. And we know how that went. And uh, that'll, yeah. that'll be for the next installment of our exciting story yeah, of exactly. Lucille Ball. I spoke to Lucy Arnez recently, and she said divorce was the best thing that ever happened to her parents. She goes, but if you ever watched the whole movie documentary she made of that scene oh. at the end where it's Lucy and Desi and their grandchild in the pool. And oh, my she goes, God. It's she said, it, it is. And, but she says it's up. wonderful. In her mind, it's wonderful. Because it, oh, it showed that they loved each other. They just couldn't be married to each other. Right. She's the first person to tell you that uh, they were the loves of each other's lives. Yeah. Even after they got divorced and remarried, both of them. And both of them had, quote unquote, successful, you know, second marriages. Yeah. But they always loved each other. Uh, Gary Morton, Lucy's second husband, referred to Desi as his husband-in-law. We hope you enjoyed this look back at Lucio Ball, and we'll be continuing the conversation with Michael at a later date. In the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. We're confident that Lucy would love you if you did so. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.